Mr. President, it's Rishi Sunak. How are you? Rashid Sunak. Rishi Sunak. How are you? Rashid Sunak. Rishi Sunak. How are you? Rashid Sunak. Yeah, yeah, I'm a cock oh, addict. Oh, oh, I'm a total cock addict. Coca-Cola addict. Hello, it's uh, Chappie here. Uh, Monsieur Chappie? No, 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 no. Chappie. Chappie. Monsieur Chapeau? No, no, that's a hat. No, no, no. Or is it gloves? And a scarf? No, it's Chappie. My name's Chappie. Podcast host. Audio entertainer. The magician of the mouth very irritating when people get your name wrong as I so I do feel a little bit for Rishi Sanuk marvellous to be here my little portable fridges and the reason I say that is that although it is absolutely frigid it's the it's the monkey barzai I don't know the name for monkey in French so forgive me at the moment but it is severe brass monkeys out there it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a little cold. It's sort of doubling up on the socks, doubling up on the gloves. It's sort of uh, slightly festive. But, you know, there's something very, very ominous and venomous about a pumpkin with a frost covering. A frosty, snowy pumpkin that's out there that's decaying. And then it gets a little bit of snow and ice over it and it, and it freezes. I think there's nothing more scary than that. But whilst I was on my travails, meandering around New Tappy Towers, I said I have to be winched down from my parapet here, a la Henry VIII, but without the uh, the gallant white charger below me. And uh, yeah, it takes a while to, to, you know, to. And obviously, I wear chainmail as well. Why, why wouldn't you wear? Why wouldn't you wear chainmail with your uh, coat of arms on it? But that just makes things a lot more heavier. So you're lifting my girth down from the higher echelons here at Chappie Towers, the penthouse, down to uh, down below. And then when you get to the bottom after being winched down, you have to remain steady on one's feet when it's icy below. And that and that's a problem I have. I I, uh, I can't immediately walk like uh, a penguin. I'd be very, very careful. I, tell you, I don't want to slip over. don't want any of that uh, going on. But as I was walking around, though, um, without the chainmail on, because I, I imagine chainmail. Do they have, like, a little fleecy thing underneath the chainmail? I mean, I'm sure not all battles were fought in the summer. And if it was, uh, you know, you feel like you're a piece of aluminium foil and you're the turkey below, I imagine, with the chainmail. But even in the wintertime... That sort of conducts the cold, doesn't it? Do they have a little fleecy thing? Did they have, did Henry VIII or, uh, or you know, any of these, uh, William Wallace, Charles, you know, Henry V, Charles III, he fought in a battle, uh, only the battle over the carbuncle. Um, 
but did they have like a muumu underneath? Did they have something fleecy underneath to keep them warm, to protect them from the coldness, the cold exterior and interior of the chainmail? Anyway, I digress. I'm talking about portable fridges. And although it's, you know, not this time of year, but I, I saw somebody, and they still had on their little, uh, their little balcony, they had a portable fridge. That's an absolutely marvellous idea. I mean, not to keep my beer, but I'm thinking that's where I need to keep the turkey to defrost in a few weeks. I'm so rock and roll, there's people with like uh, bourbon, there's people chilling their martinis in these portable fridges, and I'm thinking where I'm going to store my big-breasted bird so it's ready for Christmas, Thanksgiving, all the holidays ahead here. There's never any room, is there? Never any room in the fridge. And I miss my uh, my portable freezer, although it's probably 40 years old. They don't make it like they used to. No, they don't make them like they used to. Not a 45-year-old, uh, slightly uh, deranged, uh, mediocre podcaster here. I mean, you can't say I wouldn't have the raw standard bear on me, I tell you. They wouldn't say they didn't. They, they didn't make. They, they didn't make him like they used to. But I do love this time of year because this is a, it's perfect to put your potatoes, you know, in your little storage area, in the garage, wherever you have, and they won't grow those little buds. It's so bloody cold. Well, it is here. I mean, I'm sure there's places where uh, you probably wouldn't want to store your patatties. Um, but but now it's perfect. Now the Temperatures turn cold. You can store all your vegetables right on the right on the balcony there. And um, I, I don't know if uh, I mean because we we've been very very mean over the years about grey squirrels, haven't we? But I don't know if grey squirrels actually are fond of potatoes or garden vegetables. That's a that's a worry because I was eye to eye the other day. I was working. Yes, I do work on occasions. I was actually ironing. Uh, Ironing my master's, uh, putting a crease in his uh, in his tweed trousers, and um, as I was doing this, I came face to face, eye to eye, with a grey squirrel. It was outside the window, well, than inside, luckily, because I think those things are called absolute carnage, couldn't they? But as eye to eye with a grey squirrel, I looked at it, it looked at me. It was the same situation I've recounted this tale before when I did have a fox follow me home. Years ago, in the south of England, when I was at university, I had a fox that followed me all the way home. And I think it was the fox was looking into my soul. And this squirrel, although it has a smaller brain, I think, than the fox, was looking into the inner sanctums, seeing the cogs turn rather slowly in Chappie's brain. But uh, I do worry. Now I'm thinking I need to take the potatoes uh, out of the crow's nest and store them away because I think that squirrel, I think that squirrel is going to uh, enjoy nibbling and gnawing at my uh, patatoes. Now I don't know if squirrels have ever tasted potatoes before, so my squirrel that looked into my soul yesterday could be the Walter Raleigh of squirrels and discover the potato for its breed. Coming along the way on today's audio delectation, have you ever had a situation where you've told somebody to fob off 
Well, I've literally, quite literally, had the situation where my fob has fobbed me off on numerous occasions. So, if you've ever had any issues with a fob or getting into uh, anywhere legally, then uh, then this may be the story for you. Misheard lyrics, one of my favourites here. Uh, there was a song that I heard that I thought that it said, I'm not afraid to catch fish. Also, um, I don't know if I'm going to, maybe I'll postmark this one and uh, put it to one side until the next podcast, uh, Saturday or Sunday's podcast, uh, about the creepy tent. We'll be talking about the creepy tent. Also, there is a man running with a stick and it's always in his left hand. Now, what reason would somebody run with a stick? Also, a, a conundrum for you. The other day, I went outside of Champy Towers, no gloves, 46 degrees. My hands were utterly freezing, 46 degrees. And then the next morning it was 32 degrees and my hands weren't cold at all. I didn't need gloves. What, what, what is going on there? We're going to look into that, see if I can find some information, do some research. Yes, there is there is a modicum of research. I know it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it's put together Heath Robinson style, uh, cobbled together uh, with, uh, you know, with sticky tape, with, um, you know, the stickiness of post-it notes, uh, the stickiness of an everlasting gobstopper just to hold it together, maybe the odd nail if you're lucky, all of those things. That's how we put this podcast together. Now, why, why is everything so beefy in America? They've got this all-American beefy crunch. Everything, they're really always advertising beef. I think beef must be the, uh, the, the American meat. I mean, what, what's the English meat? Would it be a, a fine, well-hung pheasant? I mean, I just don't know. I mean, I'd prefer a well-hung pheasant uh, to, uh, to, you know, to a loin of beef, personally, personally. Also, lectern porn. Yes, lectern porn. All of the prime ministers recently, and I never realised this, had different lecterns. We'll be looking at that. Uh, also, we're digging into the uh, the archives, the dark ages, where people used to have this antiseptic pear soap. My mother still uses this pear soap. It's sort of translucent orangey and has a very medicinal smell, but it's an incredibly comforting smell. Um, also advertised to me by the AILs, the cheese grater foot. Uh, also the breast detox recipe. Yes, the breast detox recipe. I'm maybe going to try that a little bit later. Apparently priests and nuns are watching too much pornography. Um, Pete Davidson, not the former Doctor Who. And that's one for the, uh, for the Gen Xers amongst you. But uh, yeah, Pete Davidson is now a romantic lead. I saw him in a, it was a, it was a romantic lead uh, with the lady from the Big Bang Theory, who nobody can pronounce her name. I, I tried once time on the podcast and I did have to reinsert my teeth afterwards. Um, curry, would you add French fries and chip or chips, you know, for our people over the, over the pond there? Would you add chips with your curry? I've seen it. And I'm quite tempted, I have to say. My neighbour thinks I'm a prince in hiding. Um, also, the uh, reminiscing about f- uh, fish and chips in newspapers. Now, we're never going to get this all into the show. 
we're going to uh, we're, we're going to put some of this aside to future shows, but I'm just giving you this, this is like a brain dump. This is more like um, if you eat something bad out of the rubbish bin, that sort of dump. I think <laughs> this is what it feels like, isn't it? Um, hieroglyphics or ancient etchings on my etchings on my desk, and I say to you, I propose to you. This is my autumn statement. Eat more beans. I'm going to explain to you later on why you should eat more beans. And it is the anniversary of the phenomenal Beatles album Revolver today. So we're going to be shoehorning some Revolver tracks into the Butter and Pouring Musical Edition playlist, which is the relief amongst my nonsense rumblings. None of you would be aware of this, but I'm currently playing Russian Roulette. Now, there's not a, any loaded dice or anything on my desk here. A solitary bullet. No, none of that nonsense. But I'm wearing a white jumper today, a white sweater. Or it's sort of more creamy style. Maybe over misuse over the years, it's got that slightly dull look to it now. But... Um, I have it on but but a couple of reasons. I had a wonderful frosty walk this morning. And if you ever have any cobwebs or you're not feeling that great, I mean, we talked about this on the podcast, go and walk for half an hour, especially on a chilly morning, nobody else around, and take some marvellous deep breaths in. It's really wonderful. And if you're feeling a little down, a little lonely, that is the that is a thing that you need to do, and it and it really does make you feel better. I'm not saying that I feel that way particularly. Uh, most of the time, I feel pretty good, but sometimes we need uh, that sort of cold breath, that cold breeze, that cold breath is like a is like a stiletto toe up the backside and gets you going. Not that I've had too many stiletto toes up my. Backside. Not that I can remember. Let's put it that way. But uh, I'm trying a new, uh, my second cup of tea of the day. First Yorkshire. Second, I'm trying a little bit of a spicy chai going on, and I have to say, it's it's tingling and tantalising the taste buds slightly. I quite quite like that. Right off top of the shot, though, is my fob. Now this is the fob that gets me into various parts of Chappie Towers, like you know the clubhouse could be Mickey Mouse's clubhouse for all I know because I can't get in there. Uh, it could get me into the gym, swimming pool, um, you know, hot tub area. Everybody thinks I live in a sort of luxurious thing, but half these things do not work. i put that forward. Anyway, so I give my fob when I move to New Tappy Towers. Thought, but you know what, I might slip on my Victorian bathing suit and go and uh, pop in the hot tub and... Uh, and see, see how that feels. A little bit of an autumnal chill in the air. Rather nice to have a hot tub experience. Went down to the hot tub and uh, couldn't get in. Fob didn't work. So went back to the peeps and said, uh, yeah, the fob doesn't work. And I swear the lady went to the back and gave me the same fob. The same fob that I was given previously. Now, you know, my uh, wiser people before me, my, like my grandfather or something, he would have taken like a little uh, a nick out of that with a uh, thumbnail or a you know, Swiss army knife. Both my grandfathers would have done this. Thing. 
and then you could see when they give it back to you um, that it's the same fob. I mean, this is this is how canny James Bond was back in 1962. You know, this is before the days of invisible cars and watches that could cut through rope and everything else. James Bond in Gold uh, in um, Doctor No. He took a piece of, Sean Connery took a piece of his hair and put it on the door and he could see when somebody came in. Now that's the sort of canniness that you don't get in 2022. You had it in 1962 and I don't feel I'm that canny. That's what I should have done with the fob. Because I was given the same, yeah, the fob didn't work again. I couldn't get into the gym. Now, you know, many people would be relieved about that, but... uh, I think I've become a little bit of a gym addict, so I want to get in the gym. And I'm, you know, if I can't get in with a form, I'm going to force my shoulder against the door and get in any which way or how. And uh, anyway, some kind soul opens up the door to the gym most days. But yesterday, it was uh, teeming with sort of sleety snow. And I went back and uh, gym door locked. So I thought, I'm going to go and try the fob again. So I went back and, and wanted my fob replaced again. And I'm going to test it to some, you know, locations, uh, you know, round and about, um, you know, where the office was there to see if it worked. And, and, and all the doors were unlocked, so I couldn't test it. On the way back, fob didn't work again. Fob off. Nothing puts a shiver down my spine than, uh, well, firstly, not having potatoes. But instant mashed potatoes. I mean, we are such a carb-heavy show, aren't we? Especially today. We, we worried about, I was worried about a squirrel eating my potatoes earlier. And now I'm talking about instant mashed potato. But I, I do generally get a, a, little bit of, a little bit of vomit in my mouth when I talk about the instant mashed potato. Because we're all brought up on, uh, on instant mashed potato. Uh, from the sort of 70s, 80s. I think it's the greatest, one of the greatest culinary crimes. But here, this is a use for instant mashed potato. Rather than just put it into the rubbish, breadcrumbs can make all the difference in countless dishes uh, and bigger bowl of baking. Sound like that, triple B's. Explains making them a simple matter of cutting up old bread into small pieces. However, while this cooking staple can be used to whip up sugary treats like Irish plum pudding, oh, I'm feeling absolutely ravenous already. Most people turn into breadcrumbs to add a crunch to savory meals like coated calamari with lemon and olives or eggplant parmesan. It is too early. I've, I've barely had anything to eat other than a sip of this spicy chai. Breadcrumbs also provide the crisp texture that makes fried dinner time worth biting into. But is there another way of making your breaded di- dishes irresistibly flaky? <laughs> I, I think some of my friends have uh, may call me. Yes, have you met? Uh, have you met Chappie? He's irresistibly flaky. He's irresistibly flaky, I tell you. We promise we're not committing cooking heresy by suggesting you should forego the tradition and look for a new way to seriously crispy fried pork chops. In fact, many chefs suggest using ingredients like nuts, coconut, even cooked quinoa or quinoa. So trading out breadcrumbs for instant mashed potatoes will take you 
our breaded favorites to a crispy new height. According to Food & Wine, uncooked instant mashed potatoes are actually just dehydrated flakes of previously baked whole potatoes. Who would know there's actually potatoes in there? And you're not alone in their mission to spread them around the spread the word around this cooking trick. It also vouches for this breadcrumb substitute, particularly as a gluten-free alternative. As the site describes, if you use instant mashed potato as your coating, the exterior will turn out delightfully crispy as its interior and will stay delectably moist. You know what? I think if anybody ever writes a review for this podcast, can you just please make it delightfully crispily, crispily, <laughs> delightful, yeah, make it delightfully crispily and delectably moist. There we go. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese is delightfully crispy and delectably moist. Hello there. Why don't you listen to Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese? It's delightfully crispy and delectably moist. So if you make, want to make your fried chicken extra crunchy, beat the egg and milk in one bowl, mix the potato flakes, use the garlic flavored variety, salt and pepper, and then you're done. Fry them to a beautiful golden brown. There we go. But I was thinking about the Smash advert. And, and it, I think this is why it's, it's, a, it's a creepy advert. Robot voices are, are creepy. I mean, the Daleks used to really freak me out. But these Smash robots, when they're talking about instant mashed potato, boy oh boy. On your last trip, did you discover what we Earth people eat? We eat a great many of these. We peel them with their metal knives. Boil them for 20 of their minutes. Then they smash them all to bits. You are clearly the most primitive people. So this was a scientific conundrum that I had uh, the other day. Chappie, why are you delving into science? You normally sort of just uh, skate around and doggy paddle around nonsense, which I have to be honest. But so uh, 46 degrees, end of the day, sun was going down and went outside. My hands were absolutely freezing, frigid, freezing cold. And I thought, I need gloves here. We're too late now, out and about. But the next morning, at 32 degrees, I didn't need the gloves. My hands are perfectly warm. And uh, this is just absolutely ridiculous. Why, you know, why would that happen? Well, here's the thing. At 46 degrees, and the sun was going down, we were losing the warmth of the sun. Now, even the morning sun... You know, if you're, if, you're, if you're like the wise men, you know, traveling towards the epiphany, then, uh, you know, you, the sun's in the east and it uh, absolutely you know, warms, up the, warms up the cold bones, doesn't it? And also, I had a nice cup of Rosie Lee before I left the house. And I, I truly believe that the tea... Warm, you know, cools warmth and circulation moving around the body. So a nice cup of Yorkshire in the morning warms the hands. So I didn't need uh, didn't need the gloves at 32 degrees where the previous day I'd walked out without my uh, without my uh, cup of Charlie, and 
absolutely freezing little frigid, frigid, frigical fringe, fingers, 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 fingers. The old advert from the 1980s and people sort of my age will remember Ready Break. And there was a dragon that ate the Ready Break before they left the house. And they had a little uh, glowing warm outline around their body. And I think that's what it does. If you have, if you have a, have a smidgen of porridge or a, a nice cup of tea before you go out, it sort of warms the body and uh, no gloves required. And I've also got a new coat that allows me to put my hands under my armpits. Now there's nothing warmer, and maybe it's because I'm a, a bear of a man, but there's nothing warmer than a lovely warm armpit to warm up those frosty fingers. So I saw this the other day. Now this is probably for the ladies, but it doesn't say that the gents can't try it. And it's a breast detox recipe. This recipe supports support. This helps support breasts. Well, no, that would be a bra, wouldn't it? The recipe helps support breast circulation. So, in a small glass container, you need to pour your Queen of Thrones organic castor oil. So you got your Queen of Thrones organic castor oil, and then you. Uh, I mean, don't drink it because you'd never make it to the end of the podcast if you have a... But that's what they used to give. If you, if you had any sort of constipation back in the day, you would have a, uh, a small tincture of, uh, of castor oil. That's, that's what would happen back in the hospital. That's what they gave to poor Frankie Howard and Carry On Doctor. And then gradually add small amounts of baking soda and mix it into a paste. So you get a nice thick paste of castor oil and baking soda and then mix in your organic rosemary essential oil uh, okay so we're gonna what we're gonna do we're just gonna give this a, a little bit of a, a shebang here we're gonna give this a we're just gonna give this a bit of a mix I think here we need to do this here. Well, yeah, okay, don't get that too near the nipple. But that could, that could like, uh, clop the nipple off. It uh, takes me back to an uh, evening with a Polish lady many moons ago. Anyway, we're not going to delve into that, those details. We can't go down that avenue, up that avenue, whichever avenue you want to. So anyway, back to uh, the uh, breast detox session here. So then you take the paste after it's been mixed up and you massage the paste over the breast and into the armpits. I wonder if this helped my sweat issues here. And let it absorb for one hour. I mean, you probably don't want to do a Zoom call with pasties on your nipples. They might think you've got an extracurricular job or something. Yeah, you, you know, pasty nipples and Zoom calls probably don't mix here. Um, but I'm going to try this for the rest of the show. I've got this rather thick paste over my nipples and let's see if it improves the circulation. So the lovely people and the lovely AI elves have sent me a, a little clip, which I'm going to, um, I thought there'd be sound on this advertisement, but there isn't. So I'm going to put in my own voiceover. This is my little, uh, this is my voiceover audition for people out there. See if I can get a gig from it. I mean, perfect. Chappy. Uh, advertising cheese graters for the feet. So we're gonna here we go here, and again, let's just gonna put this on. Oh wait a minute! All right, we're gonna start. 
It's in the beginning, eh? Smooger Hill's quickly at home with his handy electric feet sander. Scrapes away dead skin and smooths out your skin. 100% waterproof and easy to clean. Easy to use and safe for the skin. Get yours now. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic here. So, th I mean, the, the, these people, it looked like they had, I can't turn this off now. They looked like they had troll's feet to begin with. I mean, these were a serious cloven hoof. And they used this uh, marvelous foot sander. And um, let me just say, there's a hell of a lot of Parmesan. So we have our good friends at Very British Problems Official. And uh, here's a little bit of a stereotype for you. British characters on American television. Number one, assumed to have bad teeth. Usually posh, sometimes cockney. Occasionally have an impossible to place northern accent. Double barrel surnames. Related to royalty, live in a cottage next to Big Ben, play rugby, always wearing scarves, and a villains. I, I'm a little bit worried. I, I think I fit most of those categories. Being able to get to the door before the delivery driver has left, even though you were standing right by it and you opened it within one second and you called after them as they ran away. And things you can never accept are empty. Number one, butter tubs. Number two, toothpaste tubes. Number three, washing up liquid. Number four, Marmite jars. Number five, any sauce bottle. Number six, deodorant cans. Number seven, shampoo bottles. Number eight, TV remote batteries. Number nine, biro. None of my pens are working at the moment. Number 10, tea mug. And number 11, bank account. Even church leaders are horny little devils, according to Pope Francis. Priests and nuns watch pornography online just like everybody else, the Pope told aspiring clerics at the Roman Catholic Church this week. It's a vice that many people have. Many laymen, many laywomen, also priests and nuns. The devil gets in the way. Well, I don't know if the devil's big or small in this case. And I'm not talking about criminal pornography, uh, but also just normal pornography. Dear brothers, be careful about this, he warned. The famously tolerant 85-year-old Pope had been asked by a student church whether devotees should use the technologies in the modern world, such as cell phones. I mean, yeah, it made it, as soon as you turn your cell phone on, it's not going to have a porn hub, is it? You have to use them, you have to get used to them, but they help get by to communicate. There is another thing which you know well, digital pornography. So, it's okay, you can talk on the phone, but just don't look at digital pornography that's what the pope's saying sins of the flesh are not the most serious he said this is what the pope said but here's the thing i honestly do believe that uh you know when it talks you talk about priests and nuns watching too much porn the problem not is the digital device uh all told but it's having a very very baggy airy cassock if you've got a lot of room under the cassock for hands, knees, bumps a daisy, whatever, if you've got too much room under the cassock, this is where the problems occur. So I think our priests, lay people, our nuns, vicars, all of them need to have a slightly tighter cassock. And then, and then these sort of troubles and these shenanigans are not going to happen with a tighter cassock. 
if there's too much if there's too much room below the rope all sorts of dirty things are going to go on the Beatles' 1966 album Revolver was a pivotal cultural moment that gave us Bowie, Blur and even Queen. Wednesday, April 6th, 1966, Studio 3 at Abbey Road in London is approaching 8pm as Paul McCartney plugs in his bass guitar in the building where in just three and a half years he and the other Beatles have recorded six game-changing albums and helped change and become the band to conquer the world. Reconvening after their first meaningful breakup break since Beatlemania lauded them and launched them into the stratosphere, the Fab Four set to work on Tomorrow Never Knows, a song that 56 years on remains one of the most revolutionary recordings in pop history. At 1.15am, having laid down three takes they call time, it's no exaggeration to say what happens. That night, over the next 12 weeks, invents modern music. Revolver is a significant a moment in Western culture as pivotal as Beethoven's Arasia, Presley and the Hound Dog, Stravinsky, the Rite of Spring, and the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Duchamp's Fountains, Manet's Le Dejeuner de l'Herbe, uh, T.S. Eliot's The Waste of the Land. For McCartney, his journey that evening was known as EMI Studios is a short one. The only Beatle still living in London, he just moved into the four-story Regency townhouse located minutes from Abbey Road. That remains his base in the capital this day. His bandmates, by contrast, Unlikely members of Surrey's stockbroker belt, misfits in a world of gated communities and golf courses. This sense of separation with one beetle hungrily taking in the sights, sounds and trends of central London as it hit the swinging 60s at warp speed and the others living lives of relative seclusion uh, with John Lennon soon to morph into LSD guzzling home counties, Omanov. In time, the widening fissure for now, the four men gathering in St. John's Wood in the spring of 1966 are arguably the most collegiate. This is their moment, and they seize it. It's not Sergeant Pepper that sparks a revolution, it's Revolver, and the aftershocks are still rumbling today. A single mother and her young son had to eat pizza passed through the window after claiming the sofa delivery man left her trapped inside her home for two days. Likely excuse. Sarah Miller and Joel were told the Argos staff couldn't pass the threshold because of the COVID guidelines. Instead, they left two giant sofas piled up on top of each other at the foot of the stairs. Unable to move their new purchase, she says it blocked them in and they had to order pizza, which was passed through the window of their home in Fife. There's no way of escaping as the sofas prevented them from opening the door. She finally got out when her older son, Jack, returned home and rescued them two days later. It was a fire hazard. I was really concerned and nobody more, nobody more in a vulnerable position. I wouldn't know how to get help, even if I tried. They couldn't get in and out of the house and there was no food in the house, so they had to take drastic action. We were starving. We could not get out of the door, so we ordered pizza. The delivery guy came along and had to push the pizza through the railings of the kitchen window. There were no step ladders of my own and the kind pizza guy said, I don't want to push it through the railings because the toppings will fall off. I just told him to get on with it because we were starving. I mean, this is my problem, though. You could never get a uh, deep dish through, and I only eat deep dish. That's all I need to do. If I ever need to go on a diet, get the delivery man to block me in. I wouldn't order the pizza because I don't want the thin crust. I just want the deep dish. And I would get very upset if the toppings fell off. 
Anyone who's had their tea leaves or coffee grounds read knows that food fortune telling is a tradition as old as time. According to MSN, the list of foods could be used to try to divine the future is vast, with beans, salt, coconuts, onions, flour, and wine being just some of the common kitchen ingredients soothsayers have drawn on throughout the ages. But what might be known that across the world, Halloween has been the time of year where food has mo most often been consulted on what's to come. As reported by Trillist on Samhain, the Celtic pagan celebration of the dead, which was typically observed at the end of October, divinity was commonly attempted via apple bobbing, picking out the seeds from oranges, roasting nuts in a fire and other activities. Eventually, Samhain was combined with November the 1st Christian festival's All Saints Day, and offspring became known as Halloween celebrated on October the 31st. Samhain is a time when the veil between our worlds and the spirit world is thinnest, clairvoyant Colette Brown said. By doing divination at this time, we're likely to have a few spirit helpers joining us. So if you're in the mood to contact some spirits this Halloween, you might want to reach into your fridge for an egg or two because they're one of the main foods used for centuries to tell the future. Ominousy may have originated in ancient Greece. Ominousy is a practice of telling the future through the observation of eggs. It comes from the Greek words of un and matea, divination. This proves a clue such fortune-telling may have originated in ancient Greece and was disseminated worldwide. According to Atlas Obscura, Roman historian Gaius Sutenius Tranquillus, sounds a rather happy fellow, doesn't he, who lived from 69 to 122 BC, also wrote how the Empress Livia Drusella kept a chicken egg in her cleavage because that the sex of the chick, once hatched, would predict the sex of her unborn baby. Omansi has utilized worldwide in many, many ways. It can use an egg as the outlet relates. For example, according to High Firm, eggs are thrown onto the ground in Southeast Asia and the shapes they make as they splatter are red. In parts of Mexico, traditional healers perform an egg cleanse in which a whole egg is used as a physical and psychic vacuum cleaner. It's rubbed all over the body to pull off negative energy cords to move stuck emotions. One method of ominency called the Venus glass may have roots in Scotland and goes like this. You take a glass of warm water, pour in a raw egg and observe the shapes and forms as the proteins denature in the water. As in tea reading, the shapes can indicate whom you might marry. For instance, how you might die. I mean, what happened if it's a double yoker? What's that going to mean? I mean, that, that could that I would go and buy a lot. If I got a double yoker, I think I'm going to go put money on the lottery. If you see an egg white that kind of looks like a plough or a horse, your husband might be a farmer. What happens if you're, you're, as you splatter your egg, it looks like Jesus Christ or Elvis? Or maybe a combination of the two. Or if it looks like a fortress, your husband might be a soldier. If it looks like a boat, your husband might be a fisherman. In colonial United States, the outlet writes, the Venus glass may have been an easy way for Puritans who have a lot of material or technological goods lying around they have plenty of eggs. To try to understand the complicated times they were living through, ministers explicitly banned the practice, but during the infamous Salem witch trials, two women confessed of ominency via Smithsonian. Instead of seeing uh, innocuous plough or boat in the egg whites, they saw a coffin, 
The Puritan Reverend John Hare recalled in his 1702 account a modest inquiry into the nature of witchcraft. Hailed claim they both suffered from diabolical molestations. I mean, that's salmonella for a raw uncooked egg, isn't it? I think the thing is, though, if you can, if you're, if you're talented enough to poach an egg by swirling and and cracking your egg into the whirlpool, then you're definitely going to see your future, and your future will be entirely. Rosie. And if your rotten egg sinks to the bottom, I would maybe invest in some new life insurance. Thank you for joining me on this uh, excellent podcast today. <laughs> yeah, it's been marvellous having you here. And uh, if you like the podcast, like and subscribe across Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Slack, Breaker, uh, Audible, you can listen on Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts. As you crack your egg open to read your fortune this Halloween, you may hear keep calm and cauliflower cheese emanating from that unctuous yolk. If you like music, though, and let's hope you do, because if music be the food of love, then play on, as Shakespeare once said in Midsummer Night's Dream. Or was it Twelfth Night? I always get those two confused. Um... We have some wonderful music this week. Some Salisbury Hill, some Peter Gabriel, some Elton John, some Lizzo, CeeLo Green, and lots of Revolver. Celebrating the Revolver anniversary, the Beatles. Just honestly, dip your toe in Revolver, because I I did, many, many years ago, I was writing a rather fascinating uh, thesis. And uh, as I was writing it, no, sorry, dissertation, <laughs> dissertation. And I listened to Revolver throughout, and I fell in love, and I think Revolver is my favourite uh, Beatles. I mean, I love all Beatles records, but Revolver, I think, is my favourite Beatles album. But coming up next, we do have a poem. This is October weather. There's a certain eerie sadness tempered with the exultant gladness in October weather, vanished as June's fertile sweetness, July's mellow rare completeness, August fleeing from it with September, Leaves a beauty earth remembers. In October weather, the long rows of china aster stiffly face a sure disaster. The vine grasped by the frost-keen fingers shrivels where it deserted lingers. Summer suns are mirrored brightly from the trees the frost touched lightly. In October weather, there's a courage of the mountains and the daring of the rivers. There's the wisdom of the meadows autumn holds and guards forever. And they give a ripened gladness, tinctured with the shadowy sadness to October weather. We'll be back again before the dusk of the weekend, but have a smashing one. Until next time, cheerio. Rashid Sanook is now the Prime Minister. Hello, Joe Biden here. Mr. President, it's Rishi Sunak. How are you? Rashid Sanook. Rishi Sunak, how are you? Rishi Sunak, how are you? Rishi Sunak. Yeah, yeah, I'm a coke addict. Uh, a total coke addict. Coca-Cola 